All right, so tonight we're on a new section, and uh, <clears throat> i got to turn on my clicker. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking about body life, and uh, I'm here to pump you off. No, I'm just kidding. So that's an, old, that's an oldie and not a very goodie. So we're gonna, we've, been, <clears throat> we've already covered provision and protection and, and put a lot of definitions together. I'm not going to go back and rehearse all of that. Um, well, that's online if you need it. Tonight we're going to talk about function and uh, finding your place in the local church, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about <clears throat> uh, tonight, finding your place in the local church. Now, a lot of you guys are like, well, I've al- I'm already, I'm here, I'm here tonight, I've got my place in the local church. That's good. Uh, this is a little bit elementary, but this is kind of like lesson eight of discipleship on steroids. That's really what this series is. And so tonight, um, I don't know if I'll get to it tonight, I probably won't actually get to all of it because of my being tardy to the party, but... Uh, what we're going to be covering is, um, uh, hopefully, for some of us, it'll be asking, it'll be asking yourself, you know, what is my place? You may be asking that tonight. What's my place in the church? So we've defined what the church is. It's called out assembly, right? The church isn't a building; it's a, it's the body of Christ. We've covered all of that, the officers and all that. So we got all that definition uh, laid and that groundwork laid. <clears throat> but real practically speaking, you know, what's your value in the church, and what happens? You know, practically, if you're not here, what happens? You know, life goes on, is what everyone says. Well, yeah, it does go on, um, but, you know, you're welcome and wanted, and beyond that, you're even needed. Uh, and so we'll talk about that. Uh, before we jump into all of that, though, turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. That's where we're going we're gonna, to uh, bounce off of that. As, uh, I'll leave those questions up there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16 in the New Testament. <clears throat> and before we, this may seem like a strange place to, to start, but it's actually right where we got to start when it comes to this subject of function. Uh, Paul said, this, and this is not a verse you are not uh, familiar with, you're very familiar with this, but Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All right, so <clears throat> um, so this passage is, is dealing, of course, with um, the Word of God, the Scripture, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. It's all given by inspiration of God. God breathed it, and it is profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Uh, if you've known my testimony, some of you know when I grew up, the word doctrine was like a byword. Uh, I didn't, for, until I got saved, it was interesting how the devil planted seeds and God kind of, you know, took care of that. But and I'm, now I'm a steward of the doctrine of the mysteries of Christ. But when I was a young man, <clears throat> um, my dad would interpose the word doctrine as a byword. Like all those churches just have their doctrine. You know, he kind of said it with an attitude and I'd be like, ooh, that must be bad stuff, man. That doctrine, this, 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 this stuff will bite you, you know. And then I go to church, and then this verse is being thrown about, you know. And they're talking doctrine. Do- if you're around here very long, you'll hear us talk about doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Then that word's used in common vernacular. Remember when uh, Na- uh, I was going to say Nancy Pelosi, uh, Sarah Palin, right? She was sitting there and running for uh, running for office, and they said, uh, you know, what do you know about the Bush doctrine? You know, and she looked like a frog in a hailstorm. She had no idea what they were talking about. And uh, I think it was on foreign policy or something. But at any rate, that word doctrine, is, it's, it's a word that we use, uh, but we don't always define it. And so uh, doctrine, uh, this is your first blank, is the basis for fellowship. 
Now, that's not the definition, but it's the basis for our fellowship. Doctrine is the basis for our fellowship. <clears throat> I mean, what brings us together really is the Scripture and the Word of God in every sense of that, whether it's the living Word, the uh, Jesus Christ who is the Word of God, and that's what Christmas is all about, or uh, the doctrinal instruction that is taught from the Word of God. What really binds us together uh, is the Word of God. And even the Spirit of God teaches us all things whatsoever He has said to us. Right. So it's all about knowing Him, and in knowing Him we know one another. So doctrine simply means <clears throat> instruction uh, or teaching, right? Doctrine simply means instruction or teaching. If you look at, at the word and, and you know in its basic form, uh, there's actually s- several synonyms in addition to stru- instruction and teaching, some of which are probably, I think, even better, uh, but I don't want to use them because people use them for other definitions. So anyway, I won't get into that. But doctrine, or te- uh, doctrine is, is instruction or teaching, which is an adequate definition. The first mention of doctrine... And the scripture is a beautiful account of God giving the instruction set for all creation. And I love this. I think I put this in the, yeah. So that's a little small, but if you can't read it, you can look it up. But Deuteronomy 32, <clears throat> uh, let's, let's, uh, let's meditate on this for just a moment. It says, it says uh, this, now this is the first mention that you're going to find of the word doctrine in the entire Bible. And he says here in Deuteronomy 32, 1, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear. O earth, the words of my mouth, <clears throat> my doctrine shall drop as the rain. Think about that. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers uh, upon the grass. Now we know the word of God is likened to water, but this is a really, you know, flowery uh, kind of poetic way of, of illustrating it. And in particular, he says, my doctrine, right? My instruction my teaching, it's going to fall like rain. It's going to be distilled like the dew, like the small rain. It's going to be like a garden, like the Garden of Eden, right, before the fall. It's going to be, it's going to be everywhere, and it's going to make things luscious because I will publish the name of the Lord, uh, ascribe you greatness unto our God. So we're going through Exodus right now, and uh, we just talked about you know God making that promise, and he's going to give his name in Exodus chapter 6. He's going to be known by his name. He's publishing his name, the self-existing one. He is, um, he is, he is the one who provides doctrine, and he's likening it to water, and and to water that is uh, clean water, distilled water, and uh, everything from the drop of rain to the small rain, as he calls it, that that would be on the tender herb and the showers upon the grass. Right, the, a very it's not he's not talking about a flood of judgment here he's talking about a blessing okay so okay well what's that got to do with the price of tea well you know we often call the church a greenhouse have you ever heard me call that we're a greenhouse for spiritual growth you know what a greenhouse is worthless if you don't have water and water is the word right we know that from ephesians chapter 5 we are the washing of the water by the word like, hey, honey, come here, let's have a shower. Let me get a phone and blast Amy with the, uh, no, you want a tender shower, right? You want it, God wants to, you know, I don't get out the fire hose. and you know? So it's like uh, he washes us in the water of the word. So if you have a greenhouse, right, if you have light but you don't have water, what do you have? You have desert, right? Everything dries up. But if you got a greenhouse, it's intense, right? It, it, it brings the rays in, brings the heat in, but you you compensate that with water a cool mist 
Man, I tell you what, things grow like wildfire. You got these was it aquaponics? Yeah, it's like a thing. Everybody, they got their little system. You know what? They're what are they recreating? They're recreating what we just read. You got the water going through and the little fish poo, and they got all that stuff fertilizing, and you know, and you're spraying the water everywhere. And what are you trying to create? A little garden, kind of like a little, uh, like a. Uh, what is this, Bella Flora across the highway? Man, that is a huge greenhouse. I was coming in today to the office, and you could see, because it's fall, all the trees you know, are gone, you could just see this big old streak across the sky. I'm like, man, that is a monstrous greenhouse over there. That has nothing to do with anything, other than, it, than a greenhouse is a place where you grow, and the church should be a greenhouse. Jesus Christ, Malachi chapter 4, he is the son of righteousness, right? <clears throat> we're, we're like his garden. We're like a bride. We are the bride of Christ. And he waters us. He washes us in the water of his word. And his word is everything to our fellowship. I mean, it really is. It's everything when it comes to fellowship with him. That's how we grow. So that's why when Jesus spoke, people were astonished at his doctrine. Right? When Jesus spoke, they were like, whoa, this dude is incredible. They were astonished at his doctrine. He didn't teach his scribes and the Pharisees. He spoke with knowledge of the scripture. What what? Let me ask you guys some questions. Why do you think his his speech was different? What made it different than the scribes and the Pharisees? This isn't like a trick question. I was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts. Right, authority. Right. So, what would good good answer? Ron says the scripture says he taught with authority. Uh, if you actually, if you look, um, I think I put the verse up here. So. Matthew 7, 28 says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay. Um, so scribes were, were liberal theologians, for real. I mean, they were. They were Greek-oriented. Um, they would be um, those that would have a lot of, put a lot of credence in um, allegory, Right? And so, and not a literal interpretation. They weren't like those people that believe the Bible was literal. You know, those crazy fundamentalists. So Pharisees over there. So, um, so, but when when Jesus taught, he taught as one that had authority because he's the author. So he wrote the book, right? He's talking about his the first mention of doctrine. He, I'm going to issue it forth. I, I actually use the words uh, data set. Right, because he created this incredible situation that where he he provides the DNA, he provides the water, he provides the, you know all the nutrients. He I don't even understand you know how chlorophyll works and all that. It's just an amazing uh, process, biological engineering. You learn about it you know when you're in elementary school, and you're like, wow, you know the sun hits this and then it turns to this and then it goes to that, and you know it's just like this amazing thing. He he programmed it all out. What how did he do it? He spoke it. He just spoke and it happened. He's the author. It's doctrine. It's his teaching. It's his instruction set. He sets it in order and it happens. I mean, that's how he rolls. He's amazing. He teaches with authority because he's the author. He is the authority. So when he taught, it wasn't like he was teaching like, well, you know, I was reading somewhere. (laughs) It's like, no, I'm creating everything. I am the creator. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He was in the beginning. Uh, with the Father, you know, so uh, he and the Father are one. It's amazing. So the instruction of Jesus is the utmost importance. It's of the utmost importance. Satan also has instruction 
that beguiles and deceives those in the church. So you have, well, if you were in programming terms, you have you have this instruction process or list, a set list of instructions. If you've ever done programming, you've got to define your functions, you know, and all of that stuff so you can do the, run the program and uh, in your coding. Well, you know what? Satan is like the antithesis of that. He'd be what you would call, uh, uh, what do we call that? A virus, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I have a computer virus. He's a computer virus, and he's trying to mess up God's instruction set. And that's what you see in Genesis, right? He comes and he tries to mess all that stuff up, and so um, it ain't going to work for him. He's out of luck. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which uh, ye have already. Hold fast till I come. Okay, what's he talking about here? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Jesus is referring to the doctrine of what's called the Nicolaitans. And this is a doctrine associated with a faux church called the Synagogue of Satan, which appears in Revelation 3.9. Now, it's interesting because they have their own doctrine. They have their own teaching. They have their own church, in essence, their own synagogue. Their own, they have their own environment, right? They have their own synagogue. A synagogue was their... Synagogues were instituted, by the way, of course, because Israel was in dispersion. So while they were in dispersion, they created these synagogues. They would gather so many in an assembly. And actually, independent Baptist churches are based really on synagogues. Church, local churches throughout history, throughout the church age, are based on synagogues. That's why we, we read the Word of God, we preach, <clears throat> because, well, we were started by Jewish, uh, dispersed Jewish converts for the most part. And, of course, some of those rejected Christ. But as it ended up, we just follow the pattern because that's the one that was set forth. So the synagogue was something that was established because the Jews were uh, dispersed, of course. And then so those that didn't get back to Jerusalem, if they had a, I don't, I don't remember the right word for it, but I'll just for using common vernacular, a quorum, there had to be so many males gathering, et cetera, et cetera, in a city, then they, they could establish a synagogue. And then they would go through the process of reading the Word of God, worshiping, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And so, um, <clears throat> so what we are is a local church, and um, and we have this doctrine. Conversely, uh, there's a synagogue of Satan uh, that that uh, if those who are Jews who say they are Jews and are not right, and so but they're the synagogue of Satan, and so there are these that would claim uh, to have a relationship with God, uh, and and yet um, they start off with the doctrine, they ended up with the church, and and uh, and so. Uh, the Lord Jesus, as he speaks there in Revelation 22, says, as many as have not this doctrine. So there's some teaching he doesn't want us to have, right? So it's important to know the right doctrine so you don't have a false doctrine, right? So that's how you know a phony is by knowing the truth, right? If you, uh, if, and I've never worked in a bank, but back in the day, <clears throat> some of you, there used to be a time we used this stuff called cash. I mean, it was amazing. It, uh, I actually have a remnant of it here, I think. No, I got receipts. So, okay, here. That's what it used to look like. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> and they could tell if it was real or not. And when they, when they did that, it was by examining authentic cash. And then if you examined enough authentic cash, you'd be able to know if the uh, 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 counterfeit cash was indeed uh, obviously erroneous and so you, you you spot the phony by knowing what the real thing looks like that's my point so the doctrine's important in the church because <clears throat> our fellowship is based on truth 
Jesus says, right, my word is truth. His word is truth, John 17. And so, um, John 17, 17, thy word is truth. His word's true. His doctrine is true. His teaching is true. His instruction is true. It's worth authority because he's the, he's the one who's authorized it. That's why, by the way, we have the authorized King James Bible. There's no, I don't know if there's another authorized Bible now that I think about it. That's a good study. Somebody tell me. Is there another Bible out there in the world in English that would have the audacity to be called the authorized version of the Bible? Never thought about that until just now. But now, obviously, it's authored by, uh, the, the point is it was authorized by uh, King James, who was a rascal for sure. But uh, at the end of the day, God authorized it. So we got the, we got the Word of God in English because it is the authorized version of the Bible. All right, so as God mentions in the first mention of doctrine, His words drop instructions like dew upon the vegetation. The ear gate in particular is mentioned as receiving this blessed and gentle rain that filters down into the soil of our heart and it produces fruit. And so the church is important in regard to doctrine because this is the pillar and ground of the truth. We are stewards of the Word of God to the point at Heartland that we're out here in the out here in the armory trying to, you know, assemble the Bible. We're trying to we got a little printer over here. We can do New Testaments. I mean, we're 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 serious about stewarding the Word of God, the literal, physical Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the doctrine, the teaching of the Word, the instructions of the Word of God, the mysteries uh, which are revealed to us. Okay, any questions on that? You're like, yeah, I know that, Brian. That's why I go to Hartland. Good. That's actually true. That's, that's what draws us together, is the Word of God. That's my point. You got the lesson. Let's go home. Okay, so doctrine is the basis uh, for our fellowship. So point B, God's words are pure and provide protection for those who trust Him. I've already touched on that, that every uh, that the Word of God is pure. But in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, the Bible says every word of God is pure. Isn't that amazing? And He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Uh, so the Word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. You say, well... I don't think that word is right. Well, then, well, okay. The Bible says every word of God is pure. So if it's God's word, it's pure. If it's not God's word, it's not pure. But if it's God's word, it's pure. Every word of God is pure. So it's not like, well, it's not pure. I think, I think who cares what we think? It's either pure or it's not, or it's not God's word. If it's God's word, is pure. If it's not God's word, it won't be pure. You get what I'm saying? So the Lord has given us an instruction manual that's perfect and pure in the Bible. And uh, I think most of you know that, but maybe not. Maybe you're new to the church. And that's one of the reasons we have Discipleship One is to help people learn how to navigate through the basic teaching of the Bible. There's basic doctrines like salvation, the theological term soteriology, which we don't use around here. God calls, calls it salvation. You know, and that's that's what it is. Eternal life, um, which is uh, you know is basically dealing with the subject of what we would say is eternal security. Um, and so the, the baptism, which I'm going to touch on in a minute, the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Ghost, the Bible itself, the pure words, uh, prayer, uh, the will of God, the local church. And so there's uh, you know going all the way up to the judgment seat of Christ. So we have these basic doctrines. Um, which, as Alan Shelby would say, is, their, is basically our our, our uh, simplified version of systematic theology, which is, it really is. So uh, it's divided up like a manual 
the whole Bible, let me get off of discipleship. Let's just talk about the Bible itself. This book that's true. Talking, talking to you from a guy who, when I got saved, I literally, I did not understand Old Testament from New Testament until I got saved. I mean, I really didn't. I may, have, I don't know. I may have intellectually figured that one out. I don't remember, but I, that's how little I knew. I mean, I really didn't know. Um, I had picked up the Bible to read it before I got saved, and I started in Genesis, which made sense. Start in the beginning, and I read a few chapters, and then I was like, ah, you know, put it down, fall asleep, never pick it up again until I got saved. Oh, by the way, I just always got. I haven't told everybody this story, but I. I, could, I, had a tar, I had a hard time understanding the Bible. I had, by the way, I had an ESV someone gave me. Or not an ESV, but a, I don't know, some, some, some easy read Bible. I won't say who gave it to me. She meant really well. I read the whole gospel. I, read the whole, I remember sitting there reading the whole gospel outline in it. Uh, That's before I was saved. I had John 3.16 memorized in the King James Bible. But I remember reading Genesis, re- trying to read the Bible. It was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Oh, this is boring. I'm going to go to sleep. You know what happened, though? God got the gospel to me. Of course, I did <laughs> Revelation, woke me up. The book of Revelation, book of Daniel, I mean, it was like, whoop, whoop, boom. You know, I still didn't understand it. I was still like reading, it's like looking through a glass <laughs> dimly, you know, I'm like, what? But I could see some things, you know, I was like, whoa, man, there's some people that are in the crosshairs of God's wrath and all of that. But it was weird, I couldn't actually, it, it was so amazing. When I got saved, uh, March 25th, 1987, immediately, like, boop, scales fall off my eyes. I open up Matthew, start reading in Matthew. I can read it. I mean, it wasn't the English, by the way, the King James, or the King James English. No, it was the Holy Spirit of God did not dwell in me. And it was like I couldn't get it. because you, It's a spiritually discerned book. Now, there are really smart people who can read the Bible without the Holy Spirit of God and get all the poetry and get all the history and all of that. I'm, so I'm not saying you've got to have the Spirit of God. I'm saying I had to have the Spirit of God. I had to have it. This book was like molasses to me until the Spirit of God quickened me. Once I got saved... It was on fire. It hasn't quit. You know, I'm I'm studying. I'm like running upstairs telling Amy, man, I saw this in Exodus. I've never seen this in Exodus. I'm excited. You know, the Bible just like, it just keeps, just keeps popping. It's amazing. It's alive. So um, I'm telling you all that because when I got saved, I really didn't get, I didn't get like what Old Testament, New Testament. Okay, Jesus is, was not alive yet. Now he's alive. I didn't really like Israel, children of Israel. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I knew some of the stories, like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Forget it. I didn't know who Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob was. I remember we're teaching little kids over in the classroom. They're like we we started off teaching four and five year olds or whatever, and we're over there singing, "Father Abraham has many sons." You know that song? If you don't, your life is not complete. But anyway, <laughs> and many sons has Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. And I'm like, they're going through that song. I'm, I'm, I'm like just sitting there going, what are we talking about? <laughs> who is Father Abraham? And what are, what are these sons? And even after I learned who Abraham was, I'm still like, Father Abraham has many sons. Of course, they're talking about he's the father of faith, right? And that's why he's called, I mean, there's a lot to Abraham. It's a really awesome little song if you think about it. And so I, I'm telling you, that's just where I'm at. I'm like, I know so little about the Bible 
I'm over here, like, the, the, the songs in the children's ministry are like these deep theological conundrums to me. I'm just like, Father Abraham, I'm afraid to ask. Because, you know, five-year-olds are stomping around, they're doing their thing, and they're spinning around, sitting down, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't even know what this is about. I don't get it. But you know what? The Bible's designed in a way that it's structured so that we can, so we can learn it. It's like an owner's manual. When I was a boy, my dad... He was a he was a gearhead. He's a lot of he was he he could like tear down motors, put them back together. Very very good at that kind of thing. <clears throat> and so um, and he would just get these back. This is yeah. Let me put this in context. Back there used to be a time when you had to get manuals, <laughs> and, and they were books. But anyway, they were printed paper, and uh, and so you couldn't just get online and look it up. So he would get these these uh, thick manuals. On the on the Dodge Charger or whatever he was overhauling, and uh, and I mean those things were they were I'm not exaggerating when I say they're that thick. And the paper was thinner than Bible paper. It was like it was like a phone book. And uh, man, he's sitting there flipping through all this stuff, and he's going through it. You know, I to this day I still don't know how he did all that, but he did. And um, and so he would he would when he you know when he needed he got to a spot where he was stuck, he'd get get in the manual, start flipping around, and figure out what he needed get back at it. But you know what? <clears throat> That's what this life is just like that. It's like the Bible. This is your owner's manual. It's more than owner's manual. It's more like one of those over car overhauling books, right? You know, I mean, it's got everything you need to know about how to make life work. And so, it's systematic, right? You don't just uh, you don't just flip through it. You got what do you do? You go to the table of contents and then you start figuring it out. So, on your outline, which you guys, yeah, I know you have it, and many of you've seen this because it's on the bookmarks and stuff that we hand out. But if you're new to Heartland, this is this is like just a simple breakdown of how your Bible goes together. It's very orderly. It's divided up like a manual so you can understand how to understand and apply it. So we understand from the very first words that it's divided up in topics in various audiences. It's, it's, uh, it has topics like Genesis, right, the beginning. And then we see it transition to Exodus, the exit. So even if you're like me and you don't know nothing, you're like, Genesis, okay, this is before Phil Collins. Okay, this is in the beginning, all right? And then Exodus. Well, there's no band I know like that. So, okay, what does exit means? Okay, Exodus means exit. So you can read it and immediately understand what God is talking about. And, and then, um, and so uh, he speaks to, to, to us. And uh, from the beginning of his word, he's provided people with very intricate methods for worshiping him. If you start reading it, right, you start to say, okay, in the beginning, right? And then you start reading through it, and then, and then there's people that he's called out to worship him. And the book, obviously, then, is a history, history book. Uh, this is about a real events, going back to the beginning. The author is the creator, but yet he's working through people, and he's calling them to worship him. This is weird. What are all these sacrifices about? I don't know. And so the Bible begins to reveal all this, and you get to the 12th chapter, Right as you're traveling around there and you're looking and you, and you see all of a sudden this thing is fast forwarding through 2,000 years of history and then it just comes to a crawl. Mm. I better pay attention here. I guess there's something about this Abraham fella and Isaac and we're now getting into the nitty gritty and we're, we're dealing with uh, you know, all these details about their life and, and how they're uh, dealing with this and they're dealing with that and, and the whole thing slows down. Next time, Next thing you know, you got 12 sons that become 12 tribes that become a nation, right? And that leads you from Genesis to Exodus. And the Bible not only reveals its, its purity uh, from the opening pages, the, because it, it's completely honest. 
There's not another book like it. I mean, it's just like, oh, there's humanity right from the get-go. They're a mess. Chapter 3. You get to Noah, you know, oh, that's a perfect story. Nope. Restart chapter 9, and by the time you get to chapter 11, God's judgment's coming again. He's saving everybody, breaking up the languages because of Nimrod, right? Genesis 10 and 11. And you see, you see, wow, man, humans seem to have a problem. And primarily, uh, there's a battle between good and evil, and God and the devil, and man's pride. And so the book has obvious divisions that divide the book in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the first, simplest division, right? That's, that's the one I first figured out. Like Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, after Jesus, right? So I'm like, okay, I get it. Jesus is the Savior. With the advent of Jesus, we see the law fulfilled, right? The, the division marks the advent of the child named Jesus, who is the Savior, which is what we're celebrating at Christmas. Um, and with that advent of Jesus, we see the law is fulfilled in one man, and, gra- and the grace of God is now available to all. Um, and, of course, Israel was the steward, but they, they dropped the ball on that. You might not get that the first read, but as you go through the Bible, it starts to really become clear. And the New Testament provides doctrine, teaching, instruction for the church and those who will follow after the age of grace. And that's what we have in the New Testament. And it's the fulfillment. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. So now we just have the, the instruction set is much simpler. It's just this little bitty New Testament. And you don't have to worry about all that Old Testament because it's all fulfilled in one person. It's Jesus. You're like one of those kids in the, the class over here. What's the right answer? Jesus. What's the right answer? Jesus. All right, everything is in Christ. I mean, you can take all that law, all those sacrifices, you can take all that stuff, and boom, where's it at? It's in Jesus. He was the lamb, right? He's like the ark. He is. I mean, you just go down the line. I mean, just one thing after the next thing. Jesus fulfills it. He fulfills it. He fulfills it. The New Testament provides doctrine teaching, instruction for the church and those who will follow after. So doctrine's important. Every instruction we need to live a godly life is contained in this book. So there's nothing new under the sun. And if we pay attention to the Bible's teaching, we will have the instruction that God needs us to glorify Him with our lives. And so in your notes, uh, I left that little outline. You guys have that. How many of you have seen that already? I, I just kind of or have a... Right, if you're here and you don't have all this... I've already got this with the principles of Bible study. I got it in a little bookmark form. So um, if you want that, come and find me and I'll get it for you. We should have those like laying around the building um, because uh, that's just an easy way. When I was first saved, I used to stare at this list quite a bit until it kind of become ingrained in my brain because this is one of the first things I learned was the seven natural divisions of the Old Testament, 39 books, 27 books in the New Testament, gives you 66 as a whole. And um, and so it breaks down, right? You got the formation of Israel in the first five books of the Bible. Five is the number of deaths, number of grace, the law, right? None of us can keep it, but Jesus Christ. And so He died on the cross. That's how we get eternal life: death and life. It comes through uh, the law. We can't keep the law, but Jesus did. So it's the number of death, it's the number of grace. That's kind of another side message for another day. But uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, also called the Pentateuch. Uh, that sounds like you know pentatonics, right? Those f- five people that sing uh, Christmas songs or whatever they're singing. Uh, well, pentagon, pentagram. No, okay. So pen- five, number five. Israel in the land. Joshua judges Ruth. Israel in the kingdom phases there, with uh, starting with Samuel and Saul, all the way through King David, all the way through the Chronicles, and you find yourself with Israel going into captivity uh, with. Um, the final kings of 
the nation of Israel, and then the nation of, uh, of course, they were split into two halves. So you, Israel goes into captivity first, and then in uh, 606, the, Judah goes in. Okay, so that runs you up through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, which deals with Israel and the captivity. Then you have the wisdom literature, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the major prophets. They're major because they're large, not because they're more important. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then the minor prophets, which are smaller in size, but not in uh, significance. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Jamie can say them faster than anybody. All right, so then there's the seven natural divisions of the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So for a Gentile, like myself, when I got saved, of course I was a new creature in Christ, but I thought like a Gentile. We think in lineal form. So the first thing that blows you out of the water. One thing I learned as soon as I got saved is I got to stay in the New Testament right if, right off the bat because I was I learned when I was lost I couldn't manage the Old Testament right off the bat. So um, I was eating light. I went to the went to Matthew uh, and started reading there. And boy, did it just jump off the page. Uh, when I got to Matthew six, I was rocked. I still am like I'm still like reeling from what I learned in Matthew six. So. Uh, you realize, wow, I'm reading the same story over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So these, uh, you're going back over it again. Now, it's not until years later, in the help of the church, I realized, oh, those are different perspectives of the Messiah, right? And uh, so Matthew is Jesus is the king. Mark is Jesus as the servant. Luke is uh, Jesus as a, <clears throat> as a son of man. He's a man. It's the only one. By the way, Luke is written um, uh, in order, so if you're like me and you're looking for a template, you're looking for the table of contents, us Gentiles would think, well, that'd be the book of Matthew. Well, actually, you'll be confused. You've got to go to Luke to get it in order, and then everything else will harmonize around that. So for us Gentiles, we think like that. If you're, by the way, it's interesting. Uh, John is Jesus as God, by the way. Um, and so you get all four looks at Jesus. Some people also point out that that's a lot like the cherubs because the cherubs have four faces. Right, so that's interesting as well. Uh, if you've never heard that, so <clears throat> but uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, if you come from an Oriental background, it is fascinating uh, because they're, they're used to thinking in more of a cyclical fashion. Uh, like if we go to Asia somewhere, whether it's China or uh, Nepal, man, they just pick up the Bible and like it doesn't even trip them up that oh yeah, I just just makes sense, you know, that all this stuff is to me out of order. It's like, well, if Isaiah's here, why didn't we like bring Isaiah up closer to the king so I could see what's going on, I can compare, you know. So, but in their mind, it just works. It makes perfectly good sense. So it does take you a little bit of time, and that's why God gives the church, is to help you understand how your Bible goes together. And, of course, Acts is the history book for the New Testament. Uh, the church epistles, those are all the epistles written to the church. They're also in the same process, the largest books first, smallest books last. It's not because of priority. It's just because... Uh, it's kind of interesting how that works, but God in His providence puts it together that way. Uh, same thing with the, the epistles, the pastoral epistles, and the Jewish transitional books, Hebrews through Second Peter. Then you have the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the end times books, Jude and Revelation. Okay, so um, that's, a, that's a really simple outline of how we can break down the Bible. Why did I, why did I get into all that? Well, because the Bible is meant for us to have a grip on it. I mean, we need to be able to... Have a, to work around it. And uh, what does that got to do with fellowship? I'm glad you asked. Because the, the, that defines, I don't know if I, I do got that. Oop. Nope. There we go. The Bible defines our faith. The Bible defines our faith. Right? If you don't know, and you don't have to know every nuance of the Bible, but if you don't have 
the Bible, you don't have faith. Because, you guys know Romans 10, 9 and 10? Uh, uh, you know Romans 10, 17, more importantly, so then, or not more importantly, but as importantly, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You'll never have that, that water drop down in your ear and, and get into that heart if you're not hearing the words of God. How's that, how's that dew get in there, right? How's that, how's that rain trickle down and get in the soil of the heart? Well, someone's got to preach. How are they going to preach unless they're sent? Someone's got to proclaim the Word of God. And it goes into the ear, and it drops down into the heart, and God somehow supernaturally does something with it. There's something about the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. It is a big deal. And uh, if we don't believe it's a big deal, we don't understand it. It's God's Word. It's, it's powerful. First Thessalonians 2.13. I'm not sure I got these up here for you. I do. I'm surprising myself. I'm exceeding expectations. I'm about to... I'm going to, I'll get you all built up and then I'll tear you down in just a minute because I, I know I didn't get all this PowerPoint in. All right, so Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Many of you know that verse. But when you meditate on those things and think about it, especially in light of the definition of doctrine, he does talk about, if you go back and look at that verse in Deuteronomy, he's talking about hearing it. He, he, he proclaims the fact that it, it's going to, he's going to send it like rain, he's going to send it like dew, but he also mentions that you hear it in that passage. Why? Well, because God needs us to preach this doctrine. He needs us to teach this doctrine. This doctrine defines our faith. And that's what actually defines us and defines the church and defines our relationships, which is ultimately going to lead us to the function, which is what this session is about. Second First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, uh, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, Right? It's not what, what does Brian have to say. Who cares what Brian has to say? It means nothing. What matters is what does the Word of God has to say. So, But as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you, that hear it. Is that what it says? What's it say? Believe. Yeah, Hearing it is important, but believing it is more important. And... I was just I was just sitting in a, under someone um, this week. I was convicted of that very thing. I was sitting there listening. And I was like, you know, Lord, it's not enough for me to hear this message. I need to believe what it says, right? I got to believe the word, not just hear it. Because if you're a hearer, uh, you know, it's one thing, but to be a doer indicates you believe it. I heard the gospel, but I didn't obey it until I was convicted in my heart. And I finally obeyed it March 25th. I've heard the gospel and rejected it. Roger Bunny shared the gospel with me. I lied to him, told him I was a Christian. You know, Alex Jamie's in the back of the bus when I was 10. He tried to witness to me, gave me a chick track, was telling me the, I forget which one it is. I've seen it. It's, you know, anyway, I just beat the heck out of him verbally and told him he was an idiot and was laughing at him. I mean, he felt so bad. I mean, I could tell he was so embarrassed trying to witness to me. I, I look back and I'm like, how evil was I? I was a, it was like the, the devil came in me. It was terrible. So probably did. But anyway, so, um, so I know what it's like to not only receive the gospel, I know what it's like to reject the gospel. And I'm not proud of that, by the way, because if I'd have died in my sins, I'd, I'd been dead and busted hell wide open. But one day I heard the gospel and I believed it, right? It's not enough just to hear it. Uh, it's on me, right? After Alex Jamie shares it, it's on me. Uh, after Roger Bunny shares it and I lie, it's on me. And that's why, by the way, I do think one of the reasons I got saved is I already knew that. I'm like, dude, I've, I think this is kind of familiar to me. I think I've heard this. 
I think, oh, now I get John 3.16. I had John 3.16 memorized since I was nine years old. I could quote it. When I get scared at night, you know, in my bed at night, I'd go, for God's love the world, he gives only begotten son. Who's I, can, I could say it faster than you can recite the books of the Bible, man. I just I ran through that verse, but I, know, I was lost. I remember sitting there listening to uh, ACDC one night. <clears throat> my dad was working nights, and my mom's in bed. Everybody's in bed. I'm just sitting there. About, I'm about nine years old. And uh, and I'll, and I and I'm just sitting there listening to ACDC, and you know, dun, 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 and you just hear hell's bells, you know, and you're just I'm just sitting there listening to this, going, I think I'm going there, and that's of course that's what we're singing about. Let's go to let's go to hell. That's awesome. Highway to Hell was also on that album. I think that was Back in Black or whatever. And so I'm, I get freaked out. I'm having a freak out, <laughs> you know. And uh, so my mom, my mom, this is another day. This wasn't just like, oh, I had a freak out one night. So this is bothering me. And uh, I go to my mom one night and I said, hey, mom, uh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I would go to heaven if I died. And uh, I just start crying. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons why is because I've been attending this little Christian church and I had went through the Romans road. I had it highlighted. I got home. I was in trouble because I highlighted my mom's Bible. That was a no-no. I didn't know that. So I'm just like sitting there. So not, and not only did I know memorize John 3.16, I highlighted the gospel in the Bible. I did all that before I was saved. And, and don't get me wrong. I am thankful for all that because that is the seeds that God used. Don't get me wrong. But I was at a point in time where after listening to enough ACDC and among other things I won't get into, uh, that are pretty, pretty rotten. Um, I'm like, I start crying. I'm like, Mom, I don't know, I don't know if I believe in God. That's what it was. I don't know if I believe in God. And so, God let me set on that for about seven more years. That was a long time because I didn't get saved. I probably could have gotten saved if somebody would have been ready to lead me to Christ. But I don't want to. Fin- I don't really want to finish that story. So um, maybe some another time. But um, my point is, I didn't get saved that night, and I can tell you why. It may be offline or something. But um, but the point is, is you know what is the point, Brian? Because you keep talking about it. <laughs> so you got to have doctrine. You got to have doctrine, and you can't just hear the words. You got to believe it. And and guys, there is something supernatural. Not just about other people believing it, but once we believe it and we start to communicate it. I mean, I don't know if you all know, but I believe it. I'm not just saying that, like, oh, let's break our... No, I just believe it. I'm not saying I adhere to it all the time. I believe it now. I'm a believer. We are... I'm a believer. Our fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now is really functioned on those that believe the word of God. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That's really what makes us function together. We believe it, starting with the gospel, and then it grows out from there. There's lots of grace in all of this, of course, uh, but you've got to believe the word. There's a lot of people that are going to miss the rapture for sure. Why? Because they're sitting there listening every week, and they may even have a, an outline in their head. They may have a, highlighted the gospel in their Bible, but when push comes to shove, man, they ain't, they ain't saved because they've never believed. And the Bible actually says obeyed the gospel. Obeyed the gospel. We had a big 
dust up around here. It was just, it was agonizing over the issue of repentance. How many of you remember that? A couple of you. Good, man. I'm glad that you don't. So people were getting all bent around the axle over repentance, repentance, because of, a lot of it was because of Reformed theology and the overemphasis in, uh, of uh, Calvinists, you know, uh, which it, it turns almost into a works-based system. But the point, I, I bring that up because repentance is a big deal. When you believe, you repent. Right? When you believe, you repent. You can't get away from it. God changes your heart. And, and man, without it, man, you're... If you don't change your mind about who you are and your sin, you're in trouble. If you don't know you're a sinner, you will not get saved. If you think, oh, I'm okay, I'm, just, I'm a good person, well, then you just don't understand because you are lost without hope, without Christ, until you come to a place where you believe and obey the gospel, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You have to believe that God is and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. So you got to really buy into the fact that Jesus is a literal, incarnated God in the flesh, died on the cross, born, uh, uh, born of a virgin, died in your place, rose again the third day, is alive right now. That was the one that got me. I could run through the whole history of Jesus thing, and maybe this is appropriate to hang on the rim here since it's Christmas time. I could get down with this guy named Jesus was born. I could do that. Was he really God? If you put a flashlight in my eyes and put me in a dark room, I probably would say, nah, I don't know. He was a historical guy, obviously. You know, So was George Washington. But it wasn't until I read the Bible itself. What convinced me that Jesus was God was not people preaching about it. It wasn't people screaming about it from the pulpit, which I'm, I like to do that too. It wasn't, it wasn't that. <clears throat> it was actually reading the Bible. Read the Bible. Read Revelation. Check it out. Read Daniel. Look at the Bible. It will blow your socks off. And God will speak to you. He did to me anyway. Whoa! Man, all of a sudden, I'm believing in the highway to hell. That thing I was scared of when I was nine, fast forward to the table, I'm almost 17 years old, and I, I know I'm, I'm like, Angus Young, here I come. I'm with you. I'm going down. I mean, it ain't going to be no party. I am freaking out. Because I know the Bible's real. I believe it. Now, the Holy Spirit has to do something there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, not in a Calvinist sense, but he teaches us. He convicts us of sin. You don't have to be saved to be convicted of sin, by the way. Holy Spirit of God, he, conv- he wants everyone to be convicted so that they can be saved. He'll convict you. He'll, I used to tell that at the mission, you know, the, you get these charismatics, and they'd argue with me about how God speaks. So I'd make a big deal, deal about the Word of God, how you know. It is. If you want to know what God says, it's the Word of God. But if you want to test him and let your car get wrapped around a tree, right? Uh, okay. He'll, he'll, he'll speak to you there too. You want to be in ICU with a gun, gun shot to the head? Okay, whatever. Just hope, hope it works out for you. But you still got to get, you, you need to believe the Word of God. You need to obey the gospel. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And, um, and you got to know who He is. And you got to trust Him. It's, it's not hard either. It's not hard. It's as easy as a child, right? Childlike faith. So I'm not saying you got to, that is a problem. People are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't groan, you know, who's that dude, uh, Paul Washer, he'll, he'll get you freaked out, wrapped around the axle, man, I, I mean, it's like, oh, like a huge bowel movement, oh, I'm not sure I'm saved, you know, come on, man, it's a childlike faith, you just got to believe it, some people are quickly, I mean, they get saved like that, why, because they believe, you just got to believe who Jesus is and receive it, so I don't, I don't want to make it harder than it is, it is simple, Pat, you were 10, I think, you got saved, boom, 12, yeah, 
Meredith got baptized. I had no issues about her salvation. My son was five. I watched him. I didn't even try to get him saved. I mean, he was convicted and crying out to Christ. I was like, whoa. I was personally, I'm the pastor of the church going, whoa. And by the way, I think God spanks him. That's another way I know people are saved. (laughs) Because God deals with them as a son. So, anyway. Uh, you'll, it's it's a, it's just simple childlike faith, but you do got to know that you're lost. You got to believe the word of God. I got stalled on this point somehow, but maybe that's what we need to do tonight. So uh, the Bible and its doctrine, uh, the Bible and its doctrine and its instruction transform our lives. I should have had an and in there. So um, so it transforms. It, it trans. Its instruction transforms our lives. Transforms is the operative word there, and I think this is where I run out of. Man, I wouldn't have said anything. You guys wouldn't know how far this PowerPoint goes. <laughs> so, anyway, because I'm about out of time. So, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not uh, conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so we're in the greenhouse. Uh, we're not in the outhouse, right? And so some of the same elements are here, but it's a completely different environment. <laughs> so, and so we're growing. We're, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And, and so the, the church is important for transformation uh, because if we believe in the doctrine, the teaching of the Word of God, it's going to transform our lives. And so Randy just went in his ABF, went through a great uh, series on leadership, and he put kind of benchmarks. One of the things, if you're around here long enough, you learn what we call the seven stages of spiritual growth. It's really just a template. It's just an outline pulled from the disciples' life, right? How they start off and they're like, hey, Jesus, where do you live? I'll follow you, you know? And then God just incrementally ratchets up, uh, you know, the, this, the, their salvation experience, so to speak. You can watch them go from observing and learning you can and next thing you know from there there's there's repentance you know salvation deals with repentance change of heart and change of mind they follow jesus christ and then next thing you know they're going out two by two they're learning of him and the next thing you know they're they're doing some development then they get to that point where it's like well you know you know everybody leaves and jesus is like hey you guys gonna leave and peter's like hey where else do we go you have the words of life I don't have anywhere else to go. You know, he's like officer and gentleman. I don't have anywhere else to go. So he's like, no, I'm going with you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. And then he sends them out two by two, more leadership, responsibility. Ultimately, he prepares them to that point where it's like, hey, I'm out, you're in. You know, and then he has to, to really refine them. And then he sends them to the world. There's like a process of consecration that happens naturally. And you can see it in everyone's life, just in a natural progression, if they mature naturally. You know, they don't start off, babies have to be fed, then they have to have their diapers changed. But eventually we're like, hey, uh, you, change, you, you need to go potty. Eventually you need, to, you need to, you know, put your underwear in the dirty clothes. Eventually it's, hey, you wash your own clothes. Uh, you, you, can make that, you can make that mac and cheese, right? You can do that, right? So incrementally people naturally grow into maturity. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. You begin to prepare your own meals and grow and all of those things. Your life is transformed. You, you don't have someone in a good environment, right, uh, where they're taught properly. 
you can see it. Sometimes kids are doing too much too soon, right? They're too mature because they don't have the right environment. Sometimes it's because they don't have, they don't get nurtured. Uh, and so, and so, there's a good church environment that's going to help you grow, and that transformation in your life will be will be evident. So, uh, how does that happen? It's by the renewing of your mind, right? The Word of God does that. The doctrine does that. Ephesians four twenty three, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I don't think I have the, that verse. Oh, I do. Man, I keep exceeding my own expectations. Praise God. Uh, be, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man, which, is af- which after God is created in, the righteousness, in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Timothy uh, th- uh, 3, 10 through 6. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Right? He's like, you know the instruction I've given you. Manner of life, not just what I said, but what I did. Uh, purpose, uh, faith. Right, long before, yeah, long before Rick Warren, man, Paul was out there. He did the purpose-driven church to Ephesus, right? And so, the purpose, the faith, the long-suffering, the charity, the patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Right, Timothy, you were there in Asia when I was getting persecuted. You saw that. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Just mark it down. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That brings us full circle to where we started. Verse 16 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture. Okay, so uh, I'll give you point four. Boom. The Bible defines our fellowship in the body. I should have gotten there a lot sooner. That's where we're going to stop tonight. We'll come back uh, next time. Next week, we're getting close to Christmas. I'll pro- I may do a Christmas special, or I may just pick, keep this going, because I want to get this done so we can keep moving with our next year's agenda on Wednesday nights as well. But the Bible defines our fellowship in the body, not surprisingly. And that's if, if and when I'll just tell you where we're going with that. So if the Bible defines our fellowship in the Bible, it will. if it transforms us and defines our fellowship, then guess what? It's also going to define our function, which is what this topic is about. All right, any questions tonight? All right, well, let's do this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hold you for just one second, and I will tell you, what I wasn't going to tell you on a minute ago, but once we're offline. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to just be together and talk about this issue of obeying the gospel. But